Welcome to Our Savior and Friend, the Book of Luke, by John M. Fowler, edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 4, The Call to Discipleship. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, New King's James Version. Disciple means a follower or a pupil. The word disciple occurs more than 250 times in the Bible, mostly but not exclusively in the Gospels and Acts. Being a disciple energizes the spirit, challenges the mind, and demands our utmost in our relationship with God and our fellow men. Without total allegiance to Christ and the demands of His life and message, there can be no discipleship. What higher calling could you have? God takes men as they are and educates them for His service if they will yield themselves to Him. The Spirit of God, received into the soul, will quicken all its faculties. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the mind that is devoted unreservedly to God develops harmoniously and is strengthened to comprehend and fulfill the requirements of God. The weak, vacillating character becomes changed to one of strength and steadfastness. Continual devotion establishes so close a relation between Jesus and his disciple that the Christian becomes like him in mind and character. The words of Ellen G. White in her book, The Desire of Ages, on page 251. In this exploration, we'll look at how Jesus called those who were to follow him and discover what lesson we can learn that can help us in our continuation of the work that he had started on earth. Fishers of men. Simon and Andrew had toiled all night. Seasoned fishermen, they knew the art of fishing, and they knew when to quit. Nightlong work yielded nothing. In the midst of their disappointment came an unsolicited command. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Luke chapter 5, verse 4, New King James Version. Simon's response was one of hopelessness and anguish. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. Who is this carpenter counseling a fisherman about fishing? Simon could have turned away, but is it possible that Jesus' comforting and authentic preaching earlier had some effect? Hence the response, nevertheless, at your word. Thus, the first lesson of discipleship, obedience to Christ's word. Andrew, John, and James also soon learned that the long and fruitless night 
had given way to a bright and astonishing dawn, with a multitude of fish caught. At once Peter fell to his knees and cried out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Recognition of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of oneself is another essential step in the call to discipleship, and Peter had taken that step. Another example of someone taking that first step is Isaiah. His experience is detailed in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, which says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's consider the miracle, the astonishment of the fishermen, the confession of Peter, and the authority of Jesus in three different accounts of the same events. What does each one of these accounts say about the path of discipleship? Let's hear Luke's report. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now here's Matthew's report. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Finally, let's hear Mark's report. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther thence, 
he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants, and went after him. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Luke chapter 5, verse 10, New King James Version. The transition from being fishermen to becoming fishers of men is extraordinary. It requires absolute self-surrender to the master, recognition of one's inability and sinfulness, a reaching out to Christ in faith for the strength to walk the lonely and unknown path of discipleship, and continual reliance on Christ in Him alone. The life of a fisherman is uncertain and dangerous, battling ruthless waves, unsure of a steady income. The life of a fisher of men is no less so, but the Lord promises, fear not. Discipleship is not an easy road. It has its ups and downs, its joys and challenges, but a disciple is not called to walk alone. The one who said, fear not, is by the side of the faithful disciple. Listen again to Peter's confession about being a sinful man. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. Notice how his sinfulness prompted him to want to be separated from Jesus. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What is it about sin that does that to us, that pushes us away from God? Selection of the Twelve Discipleship is not self-made. It is a result of responding to the call of Jesus. Luke mentions that Jesus has already called Peter, Andrew, John, James, and Levi Matthew, the tax collector. Luke 5, verses 11, 27 through 32, provides a glimpse into the details of Jesus inviting five of the twelve disciples. Speaking of Peter, Andrew, John, and his brother James, verse 11 says, And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Verses 27 through 32 continue. And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with him. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, the writer places the selection of the twelve in a strategic location in his narrative. Immediately after the Sabbath healing of a man with a withered hand. Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And it came to pass, also on another Sabbath, 
that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up, and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness, and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. This action led the Pharisees to plot the murder of Jesus. The Lord knew that it is time to consolidate his work and prepare a team of workers whom he could train and prepare for the task beyond the cross. Listen to Luke chapter 6 verses 12 through 16 and Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. What do these verses tell us about the calling of the twelve apostles? Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, which also he named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was also the traitor. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Then he called his twelve disciples together, and gave them power and authority over all devils, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves, nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece, and whatsoever house ye enter into. There abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, Shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Among the multitudes that followed him, there were many disciples. Ones who followed him as students would follow a teacher. But Christ's task is more than that of teaching. His was to build the community of the redeemed, a church that would take his saving message to the ends of the earth. For that purpose, he needs more than disciples. Luke chapter 6, verse 13, New King James Version, says that from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Apostle means someone sent with a special message for a special purpose. Luke uses the word six times in the gospel and more than 25 times in Acts. Matthew and Mark use it only once each. 
The twelve were chosen not because of their education, economic background, social prominence, moral eminence, or anything that marked them as worthy of selection. They were ordinary men from ordinary backgrounds. Fishermen, tax collectors, a zealot, a doubter, and one who turned out to be a traitor. They were called for one purpose only, to be ambassadors of the king and his kingdom. God takes men as they are, with the human elements in their character, and trains them for his service if they will be disciplined and learn of him. They are not chosen because they are perfect, but notwithstanding their imperfections, that through the knowledge and practice of the truth, through the grace of Christ, they may become transformed into his image. Another hope-filled gem from Ellen G. White from her book, The Desire of Ages, page 294. Let's face it, we're not perfect. We are in a process of growing. How do we learn to work with others who are also in the process of growing and accept them as they are? Commissioning the Apostles Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15, reveal spiritual truths about how Jesus called his ambassadors. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Then he called his twelve disciples together, and gave them power and authority over all devils, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves, nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake the very dust from your feet, for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, Inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. 
But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What spiritual truths can we learn from the verses about how Jesus called these men? Luke describes the commissioning of the apostles as a three-step process. First, Jesus called them together. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. The word call or calling is as vital to Christian mission as it is to Christian vocabulary. Before it can become a theological term, it must become a personal experience. The apostles must heed the one who calls, come to him, and be together. Both the obedience to him who calls and the surrender of everything to him are essential to experience the unity that is essential for the mission to succeed. Second, Jesus gave them power and authority. Luke chapter 9, verse 1, New King James Version. Jesus never sends his emissaries empty-handed, nor does he expect us to be his representatives in our own strength. Our education, culture, status, wealth, or intelligence are powerless to accomplish his mission. It is Christ who enables, equips, and empowers. The Greek word for power is dynamis, from which we derive dynamo, a source of light, and dynamite, a source of energy that can plow through a mountain. The power and authority that Jesus gives is sufficient to crush the devil and defeat his purposes. Jesus is our power. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enablings. Another hope-filled gem by Ellen G. White. This one from our book, Christ's Object Lessons, page 333. Third, Jesus sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Luke chapter 9, verse 2. New King James Version. Preaching and healing go together, and the mission of the disciples is to care for the whole person, body, mind, and soul. Sin and Satan have captured the whole person, and the whole person must be brought under the sanctifying power of Jesus. The life of discipleship can be maintained only when that life is totally given to Christ, with nothing coming in between. Neither gold nor silver, neither father nor mother, neither spouse nor child, neither life nor death, neither the contingencies of today nor the emergencies of tomorrow shall come between the disciple and Christ. Christ, his kingdom, and the witness to a lost world alone matter. Take nothing for the journey. Luke chapter 9 verse 3, New King James Version. What principle is expressed here that's important for you to understand and to experience for yourself?
Ending the 70. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24, tells about the sending of the 70. What do these verses teach you about the work of being Christ's ambassador? Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face, into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your way out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they would have had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. And the seventy returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned him unto his disciples, and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, 
and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. What did these verses teach you about the work of being Christ's ambassador? During his ministry, more than 12 disciples followed Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 15 says, When Peter addressed the believers, leading to the selection of a substitute for Judas, the group consisted of at least 120 disciples. In his first letter to the believers in Corinth, Paul tells us that Jesus had not less than 500 followers at his ascension. He says it with these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. So, the sending of the seventy does not limit the number of disciples that Jesus had, but only suggests his choice of a special group on a limited mission to go before him into the towns of Galilee and prepare the way for his subsequent visits. Only the Gospel of Luke records the account of the seventy, which is very typical of the missionary-minded Luke. The number seventy is symbolic in Scripture, as well as in Jewish history. Genesis chapter 10 lists 70 nations of the world as descendants of Noah, and Luke was a writer with a universal worldview. Moses appointed 70 elders to assist him in his work. Numbers chapter 11 verses 16, 17, 24, and 25 say, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacles of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou shalt not bear it thyself alone. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people, and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud, and spake unto him, and took the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, and did not cease. And the Sanhedrin was made up of seventy members. Whether all these have any significance in Jesus' calling of the seventy is not mentioned in the scripture and need not detain us in speculation. But what is important is that Jesus, as a trainer of leaders for the church, has left a strategy not to concentrate power and responsibility in a few, but to spread it across the spectrum of disciples. Joy and fulfillment marked the return of the seventy. They reported to Jesus, Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, New King James Version. Success in being an ambassador is never the work of the ambassador. The ambassador is only a medium. The success comes through the name and power of Jesus. He is at the heart of every successful gospel mission. But note three remarkable reactions of Jesus to the success of the mission of the Seventy. First, in the success of the evangelism, 
Jesus sees a defeat of Satan in verse 18. Second, the more involved one is in gospel work, the more authority is promised. Verse 19. Third, the ambassador's joy should be not in what has been accomplished on earth, but because his or her name is written in heaven. Verse 20. Heaven rejoices and takes note of every person rescued from the clutches of Satan. Every person persuaded to become part of God's kingdom is a blow to Satan's schemes. Let's listen again to Luke chapter 10, verse 24. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. What were some of the things that those prophets and kings wanted to see, but didn't? What does this verse say to you? The Cost of Discipleship Socrates had Plato. Gamaliel had Saul. Leaders of various religions had their devout followers. The difference between discipleship in such cases and the discipleship of Jesus is that the former is based on the content of human philosophy, whereas the latter is rooted in the person and accomplishment of Jesus himself. Christian discipleship rests not just on Christ's teachings, but also on what he did for human salvation. And so Jesus bids all his followers to fully identify themselves with him, to take up their cross, to follow his leadings. Without people walking in the footprints of Calvary, there is no Christian discipleship. As you listen to the next three set of verses from Matthew and Mark and Luke, What is the crucial message for anyone who claims to be a Christian? Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world? and lose himself, or be cast away. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. 
And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Christian discipleship is an operative link between the saved and the Savior. As the saved, we are to follow the Savior. This is the reason why Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, New International Version. The cost of discipleship is defined in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, New King James Version. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Note these operative words, deny, take up, and follow. When we read that Peter denied Jesus, we could not have a better definition of deny. Peter was saying, I do not know Jesus. So, when the call to discipleship demands that I deny myself, I must be able to say, I do not know me. Self is dead. In its place, Christ must live. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Second, to take up the cross daily is a call to experience self-crucifixion on a continual basis. Third, to follow demands that the focus and direction of life is Christ and Him alone. Jesus expands the cost of discipleship even further in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Nothing takes precedence over Jesus. He and he alone stands supreme in friendship and fellowship, work and worship. In Christian discipleship, death to self is not an option, it is a necessity. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. It is the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, the death of an old man at his call. Only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. Here is the reference for those powerful words. The author was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, on page 99, published by the Macmillan Company in 1965. 
What has following Christ cost you? What are the implications of your answer? Let's continue exploring. Lifting the cross cuts away self from the soul and places man where he learns how to bear Christ's burdens. We cannot follow Christ without wearing his yoke, without lifting the cross and bearing it after him. If our will is not in accord with the divine requirements, we are to deny our inclinations give up our darling desires, and step in Christ's footsteps. That reality check is quoted from Ellen G. White's book, Sons and Daughters of God, page 69. Here are several introspective questions. Number one, do you remember the question, what were some of the things that those prophets and kings wanted to see but didn't? What are some of the things that you living in this day and age, have been privy to witness that many prophets and kings would have liked to see but didn't. For example, seeing the fulfillment of the prophecies. Think about how much of Daniel 2, 7, and 8 were still in the future for many of those prophets and kings, but now are historical facts. Does anything else come to mind? 2. Contemplate the words of Jesus about someone gaining the whole world, but losing one's soul. What does he mean by that? What about losing one's life in order to save it? What does that mean? It's one thing for a non-believer to cling selfishly to the things of this world. After all, that's all they believe that they have. What else would they cling to? But why? Even as a believer in Jesus, knowing that this world will end and a new one will one day start, do you ever find yourself seeking to gain as much of this world as you can? How can you protect yourself from this very dangerous spiritual trap? 3. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20 says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. One can understand the excitement of these people as they saw that even demons were subject to them in Christ's name. Contemplate Jesus' response to them when he told them, Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. 
What was he saying that is so important for you as one of God's ambassadors? 4. Who are some people besides Bible characters whose choice to follow Christ has cost them a lot? What did these people lose? What did following Christ cost them? Would you be willing to follow their example? ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.